Hi, and welcome to the Previously Learnt Podcast with myself, James Shaw. Following the loss of my parents, it got me thinking a lot about the life lessons I could pass on to my children. Now, depending on who you ask, what I do know isn't worth knowing. So I thought, why not speak to the people that have been there, done that, and got the t-shirt? And that's how Previously Learnt came about. Learning lessons from those that have had various different life experiences. I hope you enjoy Previously Learnt, and like my children, get to learn some life lessons from those that really do know what they are talking about. It'd be great if you'd like, follow and pass some recommendations and feedback. It really does help improve the podcast. On this episode of Previously Learned, I was joined by Felix James, one of the co-founders of the Small Beer Brew Company. I found this a very informative chat, full of life lessons and advice from Felix. I should apologise in advance, there were some internet issues at times, and my dog George does make an appearance every now and then. So hi Felix, how are you? And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. James, thank you so much for having me. It's a it's a great pleasure. No, no, the pleasure is all out, honestly. It's really good. So um so previously learned is all about life lessons. Um and as I touched upon before that I lost my parents recently. My kids, uh, my son's ten, my daughter's six, they don't listen to me. So I wanted to speak <laughs> to people that maybe they do know what they're talking about, and so hopefully they'll listen to them. So Let's say it's yeah. all about life lessons, a bit of advice. So straight off the bat, question number one. Um, can you remember any advice that you were given when you were younger? And can you remember it being good advice, bad advice, anything key that sticks out? Goodness. Um, you, you know, actually, just 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 before I kick off, it absolutely sounds like um, we're in the same boat. I mean, I've actually got a, a nine-year-old going on 10 and a six-year-old. So, so we're <laughs> slap bang at the same, you know, perhaps they might be listening to this too, you know, in yeah. their later years. But there you go. Wishful thinking. The um, advice, I mean, when I was a kid, I distinctly remember I had, uh, I mean, both of my parents are actually are architects, um, and uh, and their advice was pretty clear to me, which was, um, don't be an architect. <laughs> you know, they kind of said, look, you, you know, everyone thinks it's a glamorous job. They they think that architects get well paid. They think that you know you go around designing exciting stuff, and basically, for the vast majority of your life, you are underpaid, working slavishly hard, and and not getting anywhere. So. Um, and they're both fairly successful architects for that. Right. So I, I took that quite literally and sort of, um, and I, I also had a, a pretty keen uh, appreciation of nature and of particularly small things, like, you know, almost kind of microscopic uh, size things. Even, you know, when I was a kid, I was very, very interested in in the, the kind of minutiae detail of of the, the kind of living environment around me. And um and I and I was interested in food and flavor and so actually all of that has just come together beautifully um in beer. But I would say that I think it's very easy sometimes earlier on in life to think of life as being you know a single stream career. Mm. And you know if you look at what you're doing here uh, there are plenty of opportunities to pick up from a multitude of different streams and actually to jump into, you know, what what is life like living as a brewer, I think, you know, versus what is life like living, you know, as as a uh, as a as a top sport um, uh, personality is 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 great and so i i wouldn't necessarily think you know just because someone has told me not to be an architect actually i love mathematics 
I love science. I love drawing. And perhaps I've always been destined to be an architect. But actually, if you look at what we've done in the brewery, um, you know, I use design and I use design elements on a, on a daily basis. And it is the one, it's one of my kind of superpowers that I bring into to my daily job. And actually even thinking about uh, about biological processes with a with a with a, a design head on, I find is so useful. You know, sometimes understanding the shape of things and even under, understanding the shape of numbers. You know, the way that we interrogate our finances here at the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I feel like design, you know, has a has a bigger impact than perhaps I was giving it credit for. If you see what I mean. So do you think that's like almost like osmosis from your parents then with them being architects you've kind of just been around it for so long? Uh, absolutely. They they, they, I, they were not people to kind of segregate work and, and pleasure. Um, we were continually, you know, when I was a kid, I spent um, any sort of time I spent with my parents was sort of was spending time either staring at brick walls mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because they were, you know, with a hard hat on and being told, you know, not to walk without checking my step before walking because we'd be standing on a building site and I might fall down a hole. Yeah. Um, and uh, or it was spent socialising with other architects in kind of team uh, social moments. Uh, you know, the, as kids, we were sort of constantly being uh, sort of, you know, sidekicks to the architect parents. So it was, um, yeah, it was fun. And, and, and also, I guess, in, in the same sense, actually, they were both pretty busy and I spent a fair amount of time becoming an independent person and, and learning what it's like to interact with other people. So I'd, I'd say one of the benefits of, of, um, of having professional parents was not seeing all that much of them <laughs> you know? and, and actually learning from other people, which, you know, which is, um, as you've said, is critical. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's um, as much as you can pick up from other people and not necessarily have to take it on board, but just be aware of it, I think. Now, I think that's how you learn as well. And by learning by making mistakes is something I keep saying to my kids, especially my son. Absolutely. He's, he's sports mad and he worries about the result. And I said, don't worry about the result too much on the Sunday. As long as you've learned uh, from it, that's yeah. what it's all about. So, totally. So, Absolutely. As you, as you touched upon, you're, you're a brewer by trade, so you are one of the co-founders of Small Beer Brew Company, um, which I just want to say, bearing in mind I am nearly mid-40s, I love it. The fact that I've only got to look at a beer now and I get a hangover, I can drink <laughs> full beer and not get <laughs> I think I'm your target audience to a T. So Love it. So thank you very much for bringing it to the market. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. We 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 set up small beer uh, six years ago now, and I had just turned thirty when we set it up. Um, and and I felt like I thought at the time that I was the target market, and and actually more and more now we're realising that the um, uh, you know parents like you're trying to juggle so many things, particularly with with young kids. Uh, professional lives, you know, the, the sort of uh, your kind of home commitments, um, trying to, you know, scale the ladder in all <laughs> in all guises. And um, and sometimes, you know, you don't you, you definitely don't want a non-alcoholic beer, mm-hmm. uh, but you also don't want to be drinking, you know, four, five, six percenters um, because they absolutely knock you for six, particularly yeah. if you're a little bit sleep deprived. Yeah. Um, and 
We, yeah, so we specialize in 2% beer um, and we brew it all in South Bermondsey in, in South London. And it is just, yeah, it's it's great tasting beer. It tastes like a four, five, six percenter, but, um, uh, but just allows you to kind of live life to the full and, and not be stuck in a hangover. Um, but appreciate, you know, you're not here to learn about small beer. You're, you're here to learn uh, about experience. So, um, yeah. That, that's over and done with, man. I'll, I'll keep you the sales <laughs> chat to a minimum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, so, so, how did small beer come out? I know you touched on earlier saying uh, about the creativity side, the food, the taste, the science. Did yeah. You talk about going the chef route, or is it always going down a uh, like the beer route? No. I, in fact, it, it wasn't even it wasn't necessarily beer. Um, I certainly had a an appreciation for food, um, and I. I guess as a lot of so I I, I did my um, bachelor's in uh, in in biology, mm-hmm. and as a lot of biology students uh, were at that time, at least uh, I had absolutely no clue what I was going to do when I came out of uni. Um, they're a little bit like sort of like art students. You know, my sister was an art student. I was a biology student. We were completely clueless, <laughs> and yet um, a lot you know a lot of my friends you know, coming through the biology route, we're going off into investment banking at the time. And I remember thinking, what are you doing? You know, that's yeah. so far from biology. Um, and the, the whole time throughout uni, I was actually uh, doing a bit of cooking on the side and selling uh, vegetables, uh, meat um, uh, at Borough Market as a, just effectively, you know, to, to, to fund um, than being able to go out and enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, but I was, yeah, it was, I was, it was a very full-time um, uh, occupation. And I was partly paid in food in both of those jobs. And so I would take food home and I would experiment with food. Uh, and I was, um, I was making a lot of fermented foods. And I guess, you know, during the degree, I was also really honing in on microbiology rather than kind of organismal you know larger scale biology i was always interested in in the sort of um the pathways and the the mechanisms that exist um beyond the world that we can see um and i had a particular interest in uh in fungal organisms um if you haven't come across there's a chap called merlin sheldrake who is an absolute expert in in fungi and Fungal organisms blow your mind. As a human, you know, we're so involved in plants and animals that we forget, you know, the biggest organism on this planet is a fungus. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of, you know, so many processes that we we think are absolutely integral to to ecosystems. We think are sort of, you know, we, we know that trees, for instance, are so important, and yet trees require you know, if, if it weren't for fungus, you wouldn't have a single tree alive today. It, um, so uh, I was absolutely fanat- you know, fascinated by these organisms, and particularly the kind of single-celled fungi and the yeasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I was at home, I was making all sorts of fermented foods. So kimchi, yogurt, um, sauerkraut, bread. Um, and I came across these guys on a, uh, this was the, the very beginning of, uh, the iTunes video podcasts, you know, right. this is kind of, it was, this is a new thing, you know, back when everyone had, had iPods, uh, you know, it was the, the launch of video podcasts and there were, there were these guys on a 
podcast called Basic Brewing, and they were based in northwest Arkansas, in the middle of nowhere in the States, and they were brewing up a six-pack of beer. And I said, I just thought, well, you know, that's mad. I thought the beer was made on a mass scale. You know, this was before the, the craft beer boom and before people started getting interested in home brewing. And if anyone ever remembered home brewing, it was sort of yeah. buying kits from Boots in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and... I saw this and I thought, God, this is ideal. You know, this is a perfect combination of food, flavor, science, you know, and, and, and working with these microorganisms, yeast. Um, and so I started brewing and, and really I didn't see myself becoming just a brewer at that stage. I thought, look, if I can get out of uni with enough expertise of, around food, flavor and fermentation, then... I could set up a, a sort of a food warehouse um, where we'd produce fermented goods, you know, maybe charcuterie and dairy and, you know, all sorts of wonderful things. I guess I've been immersed in the, the culture of Borough Market and seeing so many foods and flavors um, and thinking, you know, there's got to be, like, there doesn't seem to be a sort of a culmination of all these food makers all coming together and being able to work in a space that is, uh, collaborative you know working with each other and i thought that brewing could be a part of that um and then i i just randomly came across uh, i overheard some people talking actually about about a job position at a brewery and i thought well maybe that would give me the opportunity to 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 make you know to to get a bit of pot of money going so i can then build a brewery of my own and, and add these other things i thought a brewery was a good stepping stone to a food warehouse yeah uh and um, so I, I overheard this conversation. I got in contact with uh, the, the person at the other end who happened to be a big name recruiter. And I kind of thought, oh, this all feels a bit corporate. What's going on here? And it turned out to be a job at Budweiser, right? right. Which is the, big, the biggest brewing company, uh, the biggest you know, beer yeah. brand at the time and, and, and one of the biggest brewing companies in the world. Um, and so I went to go and work actually just, just outside of London or um, in Mortlake um, for, for this brewer. And you know what? I got my sort of fairly limited understanding of both business and food and brewing and, and, and all sorts. I, I got so much out of working for a big business like that. And I remember thinking at the time, God, this is, I'm a complete sellout. You know, I've, I've, I've uh, I've kind of given in my my cool hip uh, sort of foodie background to go and work for a big corporate. And if there were any advice that I would give on the on that basis, I think that was the number one best thing that I could have done at that moment. You know, now looking back at my career, which has gone from basically the biggest brewer down to smaller and smaller companies so I, I then worked at Fuller's Brewery for six years after that which you know they're still relatively big um a big regional brewer um in in the UK but you know they're, they're certainly not as big globally um they're nowhere near as big as Budweiser um but that allowed me to then take those big thinking ideas and the and the kind of structure and the rigor and the discipline of Budweiser and take that to a company uh you know at fuller's who then really saw that as as a as a boost you know i was going into their quality department originally and they said wow well look you know if you've been able to look after quality at budweiser 
they absolutely nail quality. They have the most consistent beer in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was great. And 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 further on in my career, then going, you know, I actually ended up working for Sipsmith Gin Distillery for a bit. You know, nice. stepping down again to a smaller business again, just meant that I had these these skills that um, the employer saw as a benefit because I was kind of allowing them to upscale their thinking. But also I had the structure in place that I don't think you do get necessarily at a at, at the smaller scale. Yeah. So it's um, I think approaching it that way round is as long as you're willing to accept that, you know, working in smaller businesses, you know, maybe the, the salary might not quite be what you see in a in a massive multinational um if you're if you're in for experience and you want to learn something particularly if you want to start something up that is new Mm. i would say starting you know with structure uh and at the at the bigger end of the scale and then working down the scale towards smaller and smaller businesses is the way to go might seem counterintuitive but it really worked for me and i've seen actually now developing people and continually recruiting for people. I'm always looking for people who've kind of done things that way around. It's, mm-hmm. you don't typically get the same kind of development, career development from people who've gone the other way and have gone from smaller business up to up to bigger. And neither do you find many people like that because yeah. they, you know, typically when you work at a smaller scale, you kind of, you're sort of averse to the big, you know, the big boys. And I, I'm glad that I broke that initial, um, it was almost disgust, that, that initial kind of, yeah. I was appalled at myself for working for such a massive corporate yeah. company. Um, but I, I would say, you know, go and do it. Even if it's for a year, you will learn so much uh, about the what makes the world go around at, at a much bigger scale. I'd also say, you know, I, I've occasionally come across people who've worked for oil companies and who've worked for, you know, mass massive food companies, um, Unilever and Kraft and places like that. And you think, God, those people are, you know, they're destroying the planet. They're destroying, you know, what is good about about sort of small scale, wonderful living. And and you know what? A lot of the time, these guys are absolute thought leaders. And you know, don't don't get uh, sort of don't get um, sort of bowled over by their scale and by their their emissions, for instance, if you're into the environment. Because what's interesting is that if you're in those businesses, you have potential to make a massive difference, even if you feel like you're a small cog. You know, I've um, well, one of the one of my great contacts who I was at uni with, um, Emma Keller. She was, uh, you know, she went through the classic biology route. Um, she is now uh, working at Nestle as head of sustainability. And, you know, she's on a global scale. She's literally, you know, attending massive climate conferences with global leaders. And she is able to put her mindset, which genuinely is, you know, a real care for the planet into into force at a much, much bigger scale than than I'm able to achieve here, for instance, at yeah. the brewery. I mean, we do everything uh, in as in a sustainable a manner as possible. But you know, we we shift what feels like, 
you know, the entire world in order to to save a few uh, a few kilos of CO two here and there, or save a few liters of water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can make very very small changes uh, at a at a kind of top level of a big business like that, and um, it makes a world of difference to the planet, to people, you know, to the way that people live their lives. So, yeah, don't don't discount the big guys. Basically, is is the learning. I think as well when when you when you leave university, you kind of you want to start earning, right? You want to start getting out there and seeing what's out there as well. So I'm like, yeah. I personally, for example, fell into my job. I, I never knew my first job ever existed until I started doing it. <laughs> what was that? What were you doing? Um, well, my first job, I was a, um, a political risk underwriter. So wow. I started emerging markets <laughs> and uh, doing analysis yeah. for all these different companies and difficult markets, you know, weird and wonderful places around the world. All of a sudden, you then start moving to the commodity cycle, and I'm in, I'm now in commodities, um, like derivative yeah. cycle commodities. I never knew this even existed, um, but, sure. it's been, you know, 20 years later, I've been in that industry, and it's like you're still there, and time just goes so quick, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons I'm doing something like this now is because you kind of – only know what you know and you want mm. to see what else is out there and so i'd like to give a bit of direction like it's exactly what you were saying earlier of your parents saying to you don't be an architect yeah it's like, i want to say to my kids just because i um i'm doing this doesn't necessarily mean you have to you've got to see what else is out there you know there's, absolutely there's going to be something that's going to pique your interest and you've got to do something you love you've got to enjoy it because you spend a yeah. lot of time at work it's um i i remember thinking at, at that sort of crucial time, you know, when you're kind of, um, you know, perhaps you, you're in secondary school or you're sort of working towards, you're sort of thinking, well, what am I going to do in my GCSEs or my A-levels or, or um, you know, which, which what sort of degree am I going to choose or am I going to go to university? Am I going to go and do something else? Am I going to become an apprentice? Um, there are, I mean, f- firstly, I'd say that, there's no hierarchy there. You know, it's very easy to be pushed into, you know, and, and some parents also have mindsets of kind of, well, you know, you've got to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever the, the kind of traditional assumptions are. Um, I'd say that, you know, you can be a very mediocre lawyer and you can get absolutely nothing done in life. You can make very, very little money, actually. You know, law is not, it's not just full of bags of cash. Don't run after a career profession if you think that it sounds like one where you're going to get money. Because actually the, the richest people in the world are the people who, you know, find an interesting niche and, and, um, and, and seem to kind of capture imagination and they're creative thinking people and they're people who, you know, they're not just sat there, you know, doing the same thing day in, day out, you know, yeah. being a doctor or a lawyer. Um, it is a, uh, I, you, you're absolutely right that, you know, there are so many jobs out there that you just don't know exist. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, at, you know, at school uh, we had, I, I went to school in Germany, actually, we had 13 subjects in our in our high school, in our secondary school. Um, and, you know, I particularly enjoyed the three scientific ones. We had biology, chemistry, and physics, um, and maths. Uh, and I sort of thought, well, that, you know, that's clear then. I've got to do something in, in those. It's, I think, you know, 
being fully open to whatever comes at you, but then also kind of thinking about what your softer skills are like, you know, thinking about, are you a people person? Are you a data person? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to follow a subject, you know, a school subject. I, I got through my entire school degree, not really understanding that there were such things in the world as engineers, for instance. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'd, I'd heard of engineers and I kind of had a rough idea of, of what they did. But there are so many different types of engineer in the world. And I imagine that actually in one life I could have been one, you know, but it didn't really occur to me until I was working in a brewery and then realizing that I that I was kind of um, working on a lot of engineering skills and, and working closely with the engineering department. I thought, oh, these guys are really interesting. <laughs> you know, why am I not doing this? And you, you, so I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't get stuck in a rut. I mean, as that's probably not the best advice actually, <laughs> because, because it doesn't give any sort of positive indication of where you should be going. But I would say, you know, try, try and try and speak to as many different people as possible as as you're doing now, James. I mean, it's it is. Um, you know, the world's a big place. Go out and see it, and cultures and different people. I think I think that's what it's all about. Go travel. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing I was always taught. Is yeah. Go and see the world. Travel. Learn from people. It's just. Uh, that's a great piece of advice, actually. That that was one that I didn't really, you know, I, I was. I kind of moved around a fair bit as a kid, so <laughs> I was pretty keen to get back to the UK and just yeah. settle here. Uh, but if you haven't been uh, exposed to that as a kid, then go out and do it because you learn so much from people who have a slightly different way of seeing things or a slightly different way of speaking about things. You know, yeah. language actually is a is a is a huge enabler for some people. No, hundred percent. So it's uh, so so you won the the co-founders of Small Beer. What has uh, what's what's that taught you? What's you know if you if you've got a difficult decision to make, um, how do, how do you do it? If one's got one view, one's got another. How, how do you make that decision? If you've got a direction where you want to go, or that's a funny, but yeah, that's a it's a it's a good question because actually um, James and I as co-founders. Uh, we have completely different backgrounds, completely different skill sets, and yet we actually we struggle to disagree with each other. We we uh, we often sort of, I guess, because we have such a strong understanding of brand. You know, our sort of our, the way that the brand, and it, you know, it's it's a hard thing to to put to word to put to words, but the way that the brand kind of lives through us. Uh, means that it's it's pretty obvious when you're given a a decision whether it's going to be you know whether you're looking at a good opportunity a bad opportunity um i'd say you know the the only place where we do struggle significantly is when we're uh, actually when we're dealing with people we're interviewing people you kind of go this person could be absolutely amazing or you know well i don't know <laughs> you know yeah. it's um uh, but I mean, we we now have a phenomenal team of people. It's it's taken a number of years to get them all together and and get them all really heading in in, in the same direction. But it is just beautiful, you know, seeing the 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 work that uh, that we churn out as a business um, and the way that you know we now have a team of sixteen, uh, soon to be twenty two people, and um, 
we're really, you know, it's it's just fantastic to see everyone really aligned and having a, a really wonderful team culture and everybody really gelling together and finding their niche within the business. Um, but it, yeah, what, I mean, what has it taught me? It's it's taught me that more than anything, I think, you know, if you're going to get into business like this, and particularly if you if if you're going to employ people, you know, it's not just a a, a simple uh transactional thing you know this is it's 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 life consuming it's like if if you want to run a business uh and you want the responsibility that comes with that then you know really think twice before you do it and i'm not saying it's a bad thing it has been the most amazing experience running this business um but you know make sure that everyone around you your your support base your family um, your friends are, are kind of aligned because uh, what you don't want to do is sort of find yourself slogging away running a business and sort of finding that everyone else is going to sort of leave you to it because yeah. you're sort of you know you've now got you're sort of wedded to a, to, um, to 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 what you do and you found yourself being an absolute workaholic. Yeah. Um, I think finding yeah finding that balance and finding um, finding the the people that you really want to work with is crucial, you know, and, and people that that um that can complement your strengths. You know, James, my business partner, is is the world's best salesman. Like without a doubt, the guy can sell. He is a um I you know I come from a much more technical background, and yet I've got this kind of creative element as well. And and finding. The, the way in which we work together, uh, which is complementary, we're not sort of just coming up with the same stuff. Um, you know, he's also an incredibly fast thinker. He's a, he's, you know, he likes to make quick decisions, whereas I like to kind of slow things down a little bit and, and get things get things right. Sometimes, it's um, it's you know, it we complement each other beautifully. And actually, if you're if you're considering going into business, then, then I would urge you to think twice about doing it alone because yeah. doing it together with a real, with a partner um, and really becoming, you know, becoming so close through business is, is fantastic. I've actually recently been speaking to a couple of people who were, who were sort of best friends and went into business together. And, and I think sometimes that can be really hard. You know, actually James and I met each other professionally um, and we still have a, a fairly professional relationship, although, you know, we've, we really, I mean, I, I love the guy. He's amazing. Um, but it is, you know, I think don't, don't just assume that because you like someone, you're going to be good at running a business together. It's a little bit, you know, yeah. a little bit like anyone who you're going to spend a, a decent amount of time with in life. I think you need to find someone who, who compliments you and that, I'm not, I don't mean compliment with an eye, you know what yeah. I mean? Like uh, yeah. someone who, who really kind of challenges you sometimes. You know? And also makes you see something you wouldn't have seen yourself because if you're both seeing the same things, you're not going yeah. to you're going to get blindsided because you're not going to see something outside the box. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid of, of diversity in, in thinking, you know, someone who you really sort of, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be brutally honest with you. When, when I first met James, I, I couldn't get around his his way of thinking. It's like, you know, who is this guy? What mm. what is this all about? It absolutely, you know, 
it clicks. You know, I think you've you've got to you've got to be open minded with these things. And I'd say that goes for any any relationship, professional or not. You know, be open minded. Don't just think that because people have the same interests as you that they're going to be the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and be prepared to lead each other. You know, it's, it shouldn't be a one way street. No, yeah, I've, I've, I've always played team sport and we've always you've got different characters in that changing room, but the common goal has always been the same, to get the win. Yeah. In, and it's and sometimes you need that difficult conversation at halftime to say, right, you haven't done that right or we haven't done that right, so we're going to address it. And you need that mm. honest feedback. And But that's how you move on. That's how you need to be uh, aware that you can, one, take the criticism, but it's not criticism, it's more... You're doing it for the common good of the team and the team comes first kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's you see that sometimes, I struggle sometimes when you are in a team and not everyone has that same mentality. And mm. I, I might, I, my wife say now, I might be a little bit too competitive even to play garden cricket with the kids. <laughs> I'm like a stereotypical competitive dad. But it's yeah. like, it's it's... You play sport to win, right? As far as I can, I, don't get me wrong, it is taking part and you've got to enjoy it. Enjoy it, especially when they're younger, is first and foremost. But when you get to a certain age or a certain level, the team comes first, you know, mm. and it's, and sometimes you have to have those difficult conversations or honest feedback yourself to say, all right, I put my hands up, I've made a mistake here and I should be told I've made a mistake, but not yeah. taking it personally, you know. And I Definitely. think everyone benefits from that. I think there's also, there's something to be said around learning from, so, you know, we've been talking about learning from people who aren't necessarily exactly the same as you or learning from people who, who see things a little bit differently. Um, the, the, the idea of learning from different generations is also absolutely crucial. And I think, you know, the assumption is that you're learning from an older generation that has seen things. And and that is absolutely you know I'm I'm not going against that by any means. Um, learning from uh, from elders is is a wonderful wonderful thing. And if you can get some kind of cross generational support, then it's it's great. Um, I'd also say though the amount that I've learned from my own children, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly that open mindedness uh, that that young children have before they build up their kind of societal norms in their head is is crucial like so i mean i'll give you an example of this we were at easter uh, we went to go and stay on a on a farm over the weekend we went camping on a little farm in essex and uh and they were they were lambing and there was a uh, there was a ewe out in the field um lying under a tree uh you know where all the other ewes were kind of out out in the in the in the open um, and we were looking at this ewe, and the farmer said, "Oh well, you know, if it were if it were lambing time, I'd say that you had a lamb because she sat underneath a tree, so she might be nursing a lamb. Uh, but it's too early for that. It's not going to be for a few weeks yet." And uh, and as we we're walking across the field, we we're walking away from this ewe, and my daughter, right, who was nine years old at the time, she she goes, "Well, I've just seen I've just seen a." A lamb. What do you mean it's not lambing time? Because you know, how old's that lamb that I just saw? Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 no. Well, you can't see the lamb because they're not lambing yet. And she goes, no, no, no. Well, that that mother sheep 
you know, was nursing a lamb. And, uh, and we kept walking. And, the, you know, the fact was this chap has been in the, in the game for, you know, well, generations effectively yeah. and, 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 and decades of his own experience. Um, and, and I was thinking, well, you know, he, 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 he knows what he's talking about here. There's, you know, there's no way that there's a lamb there. And we got across almost the whole field. And my daughter was tugging at my hand so hard. And I said to the guy, look, we've just got to stop and we've got to turn around. Well, you know, something doesn't feel yeah. right here. We're going to turn around and go and, go and have a look. And he's like, sure. You know, there's no, nothing stopping us from walking across the field. Let's go and have a look. We went to look and sure enough, there were two lands, right. um, you know, under this tree. And you kind of think, you know, A, my daughter was kind of nimble enough to sort of recognize that something wasn't quite right with the conversation that we were having and say something about it. And B, you know, the experience that this guy had had, you know, was not, you know, you don't always take authority and don't take the kind of status quo as given because things change all the time, you know. Um, And sometimes you kind of, it's very easy to, to kind of take the, the average, you know, or kind of see see things in a certain way and forget that there are outliers, you know, every every now and then. Um, so I think learning from as many different people as possible, not just kind of with diversity of, of background or or of or of thought process, but also age, you know, people who might be a little bit more kind of um, willing to just speak their mind you know and and even and those people who aren't willing to speak their mind you know people who are perhaps a little bit more shy and aren't as aren't as vocal you know they're the ones that we need to be listening to because they'll have just as valid an opinion as as someone who is vocal and knows how to express themselves i found as well someone that is a little bit more introverted when they do say something they fully believe it because they finally said something that they, they backed it that's why they finally said something, you know. Absolutely. So yeah, you get that kind of observer. You know, some people will just sit and they watch. You know, you get this thing with kids as well where um, they will stand and they'll watch other kids playing in the playground. And so often the parent is going, come on, get involved. Like, you know, do you want to come and meet someone? Should I introduce you to someone? Or like, do you want to jump on, you know, what are you going to do next? Are you going to do the swings? Are you going to do the slide? Yeah. And a lot of learning you know you, you don't realize how much of the learning process is is standing observing you know watching how other kids behave themselves because we think of learning as all being structured learning you know we think of well you know how to do this now but do you know how to do that a lot of learning is kind of well how am i going to do these things you know yeah. what are the what are the social norms and the mechanisms for doing these things and then um, i think sometimes you can you know, you can jump into things where it's actually having that observer mentality and just kind of sitting back, seeing what happens and then making an informed decision and then going for it, you know, can be, uh, can be so much more variable. Well, funny to say, I was reading an article recently and I can't remember exactly what the experiment was, but they basically pitched some Harvard graduates, say, against some four or five-year-olds. And the challenge was they were giving the same tools they had to make the tallest building they could possibly make out of it. Yeah. And 
the four or five-year-olds won because uh, the grads were all sitting around talking about their strategy, what they're going to do, and they said, right, this is what we're doing. And once they had that strategy, they did not go off it. Yes. Kids were experimenting, that fell apart, they then tried that, they then tried that. And within the time frame, they absolutely annihilated them by all accounts. People were fearless, and then they were learned from their mistakes and went, right, that didn't work, so I'm going to try that now. Then they won it. Yeah. Yeah. And they weren't they weren't thinking too much about what they were doing rather than thinking. Mm. But, yes. but that I think that's something as well. When you get older, you get a little bit more reserved, which is why it's great with the kids. They they do question stuff, and it's like I'm glad you questioned that. So, and you, you have to go off and find out. You know, it's rather than just taking it for granted. It's it's great. I um. I think, yeah, kids, kids are absolutely, uh, you know, the ones that we should be learning from. I actually have a, I have little notes that I take, um, you know, every time that my child says something that is either enlightening or just, you know, yeah. downright amusing, <laughs> I'll, I'll write it down. And, uh, and I quite, you know, I enjoy just going back over those thought processes. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's funny, you know, it's, there, there, are some, there are some really humorous things in there, but there are also some just big ideas coming out. You just go, wow, you know, the scale of that concept is kind of beyond adult yeah. ability. <laughs> I'm like, on the you flip know. side, yeah. I'm like, uh, sorry, but our, our kids are broken up. So I was at work yesterday and I phoned my wife up and she's working at home and said, oh, what are the kids doing? It's like, our oh, son's doing a bit of homework, school homework already for next year. And our daughter, who's six, is learning to be a, um, a ventriloquist. It's like, <laughs> 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 it's like, like rather than saying, no, don't be stupid, go do something else, she's like, just let her do it. Just let her run around. So yeah. she got home from work and she's practicing doing it. It's like, it's actually, she's actually very good. <laughs> Pulls a very strange face when she does it, but it's actually very good. Yeah, but, but absolutely. You, and you want to encourage yeah. her, you know, well, let them have fun. That's how you learn, you know. But Yeah, the, the other thing that I found is is, is not just – kind of skills and knowledge which I'm, I'm you know it always amazes you as a parent and you know as a parent if you then tell someone else how amazingly knowledgeable your child is they go yeah yeah, yeah sure mine are just the same <laughs> yeah. there's nothing special we all think that our children are made out of fairy dust but the, the um but the the thing that that really strikes me sometimes is um is 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 not just kind of that they know how to do things uh but they they are incredibly um, not just not just open-minded, but they're also sometimes they have ethics. You know, mm-hmm. that, um, I remember getting quite upset uh, at, at my parents for for walking around in the garden and and potentially stamping on uh, on ants that might be yeah. living there. You know, yeah. and 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 I sort of, you know, obviously brush that to one side now, and I don't sort of, I don't look out for ants as I walk down the street. My daughter is exactly the same. You know, she will not see any living being suffer, yeah. no matter how great. Or it's one of those things where you go, yeah, you know, why is it that yeah. we will take for granted that you know that that small things are crushable? Um, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think we've got exactly the same, especially about our son, is the moral compass and doesn't mm. like the injustice or something. And if something's not right, 
he'll yeah. say that's not right that's not fair why has that happened you know and you don't ever want him to lose that because yeah. sometimes as an adult an adult will just look away and it's like that's not the right thing to do you know yeah. sometimes you might be the only voice saying it doesn't mean you're wrong you know it's definitely and you hear it so much in big corporate structures where you know there is so much hierarchy that people you know the middle management who typically have the best ideas and think that you know that that what they're doing is is kind of a bit meaningless you know don't get listened to because and and well i say middle management you know shop floor is where you you know, it's where all the ideas are happening, and yet people keep them to themselves because they go, you know, well, well, why, why should I tell anybody else? You know, it's, yeah. it's my own, it's my own idea. Um, it's uh, sometimes you can repress the best ideas through corporate structure, and having a a more open approach um, uh, where there's people are really open to listening to new ideas and new people coming in. Mm. can sometimes be so much more effective. The, um, I don't know whether this is true, but I'd heard an anecdote that uh, in Korea, um, they were suffering uh, at the um, uh, the flight traffic control centers. They were suffering uh, a number of incidents where the Korean language actually prevented uh, the air traffic controllers from, and the, you know, the, the sort of culture, Cultural norms were preventing the air traffic controllers from pointing out um, the potential upcoming mistakes, yeah, yeah. and you know, uh, to, to their to their elders or their seniors, mm-hmm. um, and and they changed the language in air traffic control centres from Korean to English, and all of a sudden the the uh, it allowed because because these air traffic controllers weren't sort of um, using their sort of cultural norms of language, you know, being very one, you know, very one directional, everything coming from the top as a as an order. Um, they were feeling it was a little bit, you know, it was a freer. It gave them the ability to to speak more freely um, about the things that they were seeing, uh, and then it allowed then, you know, because it, it wasn't that the leaders were repressing necessarily it was just that the that the people on the ground weren't weren't able to vocalize themselves um yeah. whereas when they were speaking english they found that actually it was it was more straightforward they could get the message across easily and they weren't having to use lots of polite dialect and um yeah. and then the, the the people making decisions could then say oh great well you know you've seen that excellent well you know they were having more transactional conversations rather than socially developed mm-hmm. conversations and um, which is yeah, which is exactly that that we lose as we age you know it's kind of yeah. you, you forget that you know at one stage in your life you were very free thinking because you've yeah. developed all these norms and you know political ideas and assumptions mm-hmm. about people with different backgrounds so going back to founding the company obviously that's pre-covid right so then covid happened yeah that must have been very, very tough. How, how did you keep motivated when it was bloody tough? Goodness. Um, yeah, it was um, It was tough. And actually, COVID, COVID was interesting because it, it blew things up. You know, some businesses benefited from COVID. Others, um, you know, suffered massively. And, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of businesses 
is no longer um, because of COVID. Um, we, we actually saw, you know, we had a huge, huge uh, you know, for, I mean, it was a very, very quick uh, descent, you know, from from finding out that COVID even existed and, and was becoming a global phenomenon to, to then going into the first lockdown it was so quick. And in that short period of time, we were petrified. You know, we, we didn't know what to do with the business. We were um, we were having to think very, very quickly about uh, what we were going to do. And we lost large portions of our of our existing sales channels. So for instance, you know, we, we ran tons of events back in 2019. It was a massive year for us running events. We were doing uh, events in the brewery, live music, comedy nights um, that we've now brought back in uh, to the brewery. We were also, um, uh, we were selling a lot of beer in pubs, bars, restaurants, hotels, um, and all of that basically disappeared overnight. You know, all the pubs shut, um, restaurants, bars, you know, shut overnight. Clearly, no one was going to events. Um, and yet what it allowed us to do was then to think, well, given the constraints that we now have, where can we sell beer? And we shifted very quickly to online sales um, uh, through our own website and then also through, you know, sales through retail. So we're available in uh, Ocado, Majestic, um, and Majestic Wines and, and Waitrose. And uh, and we became a very um, e-commerce and retail-driven uh, business, you know, uh, overnight. You know, we had to kind of we had to sort of reskill and, and understand how how we could market our beer through those through those channels. And and actually, if you think of it, you know, um, a lot of people during the first lockdown actually went quite alcohol-heavy. Yeah. And perhaps a little bit too much, um, you know. It was. It certainly was kind of. Uh, you were working from home and drinking, you know, multiple bottles of wine every week was the sort of was the norm for a lot of people. Uh, James and I were working solidly throughout the whole time because actually, as part of as as mad as it may seem, we were we were key workers as part of the the, the food chain. Um, we we kept our food business running. You know, it's a brewery, but it's it was considered uh, a vital part of society, which of course no one's going to argue with. Um, <laughs> so we uh, we kept everything running, and we we did actually end up furloughing some staff for a short period of time for a few months uh, over the the summer, um, and. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have time to think, to be honest. We we just cracked on and 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 got on with it. Um, I think it was it was useful in a sense to see what we could do with with a, a skeleton team um, and what we could do when we just put our minds to to shifting the business in that way. Um, and where we saw a lot of other brewers actually, and uh, well, the alcohol industry in general. Um, saw pretty good sales through uh through lockdown number one actually to the time it you know by the time it came down to lockdown two mm-hmm. people were kind of going yeah you know what actually i took it a little bit hard on lockdown one and uh, maybe drank a little bit too much yeah. um and we saw pretty solid sales uh, through e-commerce and um, through our website, through lockdown one. 
because actually drinking 2% beer and working from home go hand in hand together. Yeah. You know, it allows you to, to have a couple of drinks of an evening or maybe, a, you know, even a beer at lunchtime and, and keep, a, uh, keep a straight head, you know, and, and feel, um, feel like you, you're still top of your game, but you've, you've given yourself a little bit of breathing space space and actually in work you know just throwing yourself at it all the time is generally not the best way to do it you know giving yourself just a little breather every now and then you know giving yourself a bit of lunch in the sunshine or you know a quick chat with a friend or or, or a loved one um i think sometimes kind of resets the brain and you're and, and and gets you ready again sometimes a little nap even you know um yeah. so that that worked so well with people that that we found that actually we gained this really loyal following of, of people who were who had um, enjoyed, you know, getting to know small beer through lockdown one, and then and kind of came in again and again, and and then actually as as the world opened back up again, found that they were continuing to to drink our beer, you know, even when things opened back up, which was which was wonderful. Uh, really, really supported our business. And if it weren't for those people, each and every one of them, um, we could have had a very, very tough time of it. Uh, And and certainly if you look at other breweries and other, you know, well, plenty of other businesses, as I said, just didn't, didn't make it through. So we were, we were, we were lucky in that respect that we continued to see the support throughout the whole of COVID um, from a trade perspective, you know, from from our uh, from our loyal following online, um, it was it was great. So yeah. so thank you to, to all those people. But the um, uh, but then what it what it then meant was that as things started to open back up again, we were then, you know, we we'd sort of added these these sales channels, the um, you know, the online sales and the retail sales onto what had been initially just really a, 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 a pub focused and, and restaurant and bar focused business. So we're now really only just this year, really getting back into, in, into the on-trade, into, into pubs, bars, restaurants, hotels in a big way. Um, and so if anything, COVID allowed us to kind of add, add more strings to the bow, yeah. um, reach more people uh, and, um and, and really also strengthened the business. You know, when you put, when you put a business, you know, it's, it's sometimes you can feel like you're working hard, but actually, you know, without the constraints on, um, you, can, you can be quite sporadic and not really getting anywhere. When you, when you constrain yourself, you know, and COVID was great at just putting a, putting a real, um, really solid, very clear constraints in it. It meant that people, people had to get creative, yeah, um, and creative in a in a way that you, you're just not going to be able to to do again. Almost, you know, it was um, uh, it was in a sense, you know, despite the fact that it was incredibly painful for 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 individuals and incredibly painful for for businesses. Um, it also meant that if you if you were resilient and you know we we definitely learned a lot from covid and and also the ensuing issues that then came after covid you know we thought actually when we came out of covid um 
we thought that the issues were behind us. And then we realized that actually COVID had had a big impact on the financial markets uh, that then have a big knock on an mm-hmm. impact on, on, you know, had a big knock on impact on energy prices and, mm-hmm. you know, and materials and, you know, everything that we were buying got more expensive and it was tougher to then, you know, to, to, to trade in that environment, to do business in that environment. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it, what, what did it teach us? It taught us to be resilient and to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're a stronger business for it. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't have wished COVID on anyone. I, you know, it was a terrible, terrible thing to have happened. But it also, you know, is really a, it was a good warning to the world because, you know, it's, it happens every now and then. We have a global pandemic, you know, yeah. which... Um, and 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 clearly, we've now seen you know the devastating effects of of war as well. Yeah. You know, it's our world is not immune to these things. You know, if if I had a magic wand, I'd absolutely wish upon everyone that we could all live peacefully and and collaboratively, and that we could do better by other people and do better by the planet. Um, we as a business are are immensely focused, as I mentioned before, on on doing things sustainably and looking after. Uh, the people not only in our business but people beyond our business as well um we we actually donate one percent of our revenue to uh to the research that then goes out to developing coral reefs and stopping the coral reef bleaching uh you know we are we're a b corp business which means that you know we do we have we've signed up to do better uh, business for for good um and that we uh you know, we, we live up to those standards, which are incredibly tough, not just sustainability standards, environmental goals, but also people standards and, and, and standards of working with the community. So running a business in its, in, its, in its true form, you know, you think of, well, you know, we're a brewery. At the end of the day, we brew beer for people to drink. Um, we see it as a lot more than that. It gives us the potential to get out and 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 be better, you know, be better people, uh, do better by other people on the planet. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really good. And I think that's really good. And I think something like COVID's made people more receptive to that as well, go more independent, go more aware, you know, of impact of stuff. It's just... Absolutely. I mean, as, as much as we have learned, we are still, we're a tiny, tiny business, you mm. know, it's you compare us to to any other beer brand virtually you know that you'll be aware of we are absolutely minuscule we are so thankful for people really coming on board with us but but this is you know what we're trying to do here and what we are doing i think quite successfully is building an entirely new beer category um and that is opening up people's minds you know people who sort of previously thought that anything that was lower than kind of three four five percent in alcohol probably didn't didn't taste that great you know will challenge yourself you know get a small beer because um it's not non-alcoholic beer you know we brew it in the same way as you as you brew a bigger beer it's full flavored it gives you that full experience um and yet it allows you to, you know i think a lot of people sort of see alcohol as being well it's you know bang for your buck you know well I, i'm going to pay more for a uh for a, for a stronger alcoholic drink well 
think of all the things that, you know, actually as, as humans, we are terrible at deciding when to stop drinking. We're terrible at, at sort of, you know, alcohol is on the one hand, this wonderful social glue. And yet on the other hand, it, um, it destroys lives. You know, it, 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 it's, it can be very, very hard, you know, and, and, and also just on a, on a softer side, it also makes things very quickly just unsociable. You know, you can be at an event uh, or just, you know, you can be uh, drinking a bit of alcohol at home and, and feeling, you know, one moment like the top of your game and the next moment like you really shouldn't <laughs> have had yeah. that last one. Um, and what's wonderful is, is those people who've reached out to us and said, you know, you have really changed my life for the better, not because I had any trouble with alcohol previously, but just because you've given me balance where I didn't, I didn't really expect to see it, you know, and, and I think that's the, the, the biggest bit of good that we are likely to do as a business is where, you know, we are allowing people to enjoy themselves and relax without kind of uh, getting into this, this sort of situation where they're thinking, oh, how many drinks have I had? You know, yeah. can I have another? That's not really relaxing. You know, no. in the back of your mind, you're you're counting your drinks. <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's anything but relaxing. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's nice to kind of to get into that sociable state and then keep having the conversation and not feel like you're you know beginning to slur your words and yeah. you, know, you, you can't remember the last thing that someone else said because you're just focused on what you're saying. You know, no, exactly. alcohol makes us into terrible people sometimes. Yeah. You know. So that's yeah. what it is though for me is the next day so yeah and now if i have say like your uh, your steam for example or the dark yeah. light, i know I, the next day i can get up at normal time i can still do stuff with the kids and feel normal rather than wasting time now feeling shit i don't get that totally. issue anymore quite absolutely frankly. and yeah. time is a very precious commodity that you can't you can't afford to lose or waste Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, you know, sometimes you feel like, you know, you might go out for a couple of drinks, you get up the following morning, you think, yeah, I got away with that. You know, I, I feel all right. Um, and you're just slightly dull. You know, you, you don't yeah. quite notice it necessarily, but for the rest of the day, are you actually being your best self? You no, know, are you, are you, are you doing everything to the full? Are you, you know, and, and I think, What's wonderful about small beer is that it is, you know, it does allow you to really get the best of both worlds, get the best of socializing, relaxing, having fun, you know, letting the stress off, off a little bit. And then um, and then getting back into it the next day and, and enjoying yourself and, and enjoying the fact that you are more productive and, and yeah. that you're, yeah. It's, um, it's a funny thing because, you know, the, the, the whole concept of small beer actually is not new. You know, it's um, uh, so, you know, many of your listeners will, will be familiar with the concept of uh, the fact that people used to drink beer instead of water. Um, as it happens, people weren't just walking around completely drunk all the time. Um, they were drinking small beer. So up until uh, kind of the late 1800s, and in some cases, even until the mid 1900s so um actually dulwich college that's not far from here they were serving small beer 
to the boys going to Dulwich College until the 1950s. Right. And it was seen that, but that wasn't, you know, it wasn't the case of, you know, well, we're dishing out beer in school because, you know, we want all the kids to be drunk. Far from it. They were, they were giving small beer to kids because beer is nutrition. Right. It's 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 full of B vitamins, uh, zinc, selenium, iron, you know, all these micronutrients um, that our diets these days are actually so poor on because we eat so much of these ultra processed foods. Yeah. Um, they were giving kids small beer um, and I, I'm not advocating that we start giving kids beer, but the, uh, everyone, right, you know, from school children through to high society, they were all drinking small beer instead of water um and the, there's a slight misconception that people were drinking beer in, instead of water because it was safer to drink um which is which is of course true but the main reason that people were drinking small beer instead of water um is because it tasted a hell of a lot better than water did you know we, we take it for granted these days that you can open up the tap and drink water and it tastes wonderful and it's you know it's safe to drink. Um, but for the vast majority of our history, um, uh, we, we, we haven't had clean, good tasting drinking water. Um, and so, you know, small beer, uh, which effectively just meant, you know, small beer, the small beer that we brew today is a little bit different to the small beer of old. The small beer of old was actually a kind of second runnings of your beer. So you produce right. beer, and then you'd 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 add more water into your mash and create a second beer that that was generally a little bit more sort of um, porridge-like, <laughs> for want of a better word, slightly thicker um, and um, and certainly not quite as tasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that was what people were drinking. Uh, and it and it had a you know a bit of alcohol. Uh, but you know we're looking at sort of yeah one one or two percent in, al- in alcohol, um, and that is that's where we've we've we got the name. Um, certainly not where we got the recipes. But it was you know in the 1800s there was a chap uh, who was writing. You know there's not there's not a huge amount of um, uh, of literature on small beer. Uh, I mean you'll find that people mention it. You know. Shakespeare mentions it, Chaucer, Dickens, they all mention small beer, um, but there aren't recipes for it because it was just a part of everyday life. It's like we don't have recipes for making a couple of builders or, you know, making porridge. You know, it's just everybody kind of has their own way of doing it. Um, And, yeah, so so there isn't a huge amount of literature there, but but what was key was that actually they were, yeah, they, they were dishing it out in hospitals, you know, as a, uh, um, so if, if you had fever, you were, you were often given warm, small beer uh, to drink. Um, and, and in the 1800s, there were a few people that started making it from scratch, where they called it small beer entire, uh, where they were making it effectively as we make it today. So, uh, so brewing to strength rather than sort of, um, Rather than watering back a previous mash, and the beer was 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 great. You know, it tasted like bigger beer, and and you know the the excitement from some of these people, you know, developing these beers mm. um, is wonderful to to read. Uh, but it, 
you know, it's it's no more exciting than it is in a day like today where we're all running around like like headless chickens, live in a in a very very fast paced world, you know, living professional lives and you know working ourselves hard and you know not having the time or the energy to to kind of get on with with life. Um, you know, it's it, it's probably more fitting today that we all start getting a bit more balance in our lives, a bit of well-being, um, and we start drinking some more 2% beer. Yeah, uh, 100%. I, and I think, you know, people want more control over it. You can just see naturally the diets people eat now as well, you know. It's, you, you yeah. Try health, especially when I'm older, I'm trying to go as healthy as possible. And, you know, and I think it all stems from food and drink. It's just Definitely. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a there's also a bit of a misconception that beer, some you know, some of it's sort of made in labs, or they kind of add things and, and take things away. Beer, beer is actually a it's a very natural product, even even when you're making it at the scale as we were when I was working at Budweiser. At, at the end of the day, you're working with cereal grains, water, hops, and yeast, and it's as simple as that. Um, it's a very very low impact food uh, or or drink, you know, <laughs> it is a, um, uh, you know, I think there's there's a lot of attention at the moment on on ultra processed foods, and I think I think that's right. You know, I think for too long nutrition has been so focused on on reducing calories and reducing sugar and carbs, but you know, at the end of the day, if you're reducing things, you're making them less nutritional. You know, you end up buying things that are full of water, full of air, full of sugar, full of fat, actually. And then, uh, you know, and then you're, you're just eating less of them that make, you know, which makes you more hungry. So you end up actually, and you know, you actually end up eating more of them and you get into this kind of vicious cycle with, you know, things packaged in one trip plastic packaging. Um, it's nuts you know we're we're kidding ourselves mm-hmm. we you know as a as a as a population we used to spend a significant portion of our income you know 20 25% of our income on food you know these days you're lucky if you spend 5% of your income on food yeah. um and it's a you know but we're eating actually very very poor diets very nutritionally poor diets um and i think you know, I think the the kind of low impact nature of uh, of brewing beer, but particularly the way that we do it, so we allow our beer to sit in tank for for weeks and weeks on end. You know, our lager, we we lager the beer for for a minimum of six weeks, cold conditioning in tank, which you just will not find. You know, in the bigger breweries, they're turning out beer within three to four days, and actually, even in craft breweries, you know, they're often turned out very very quickly. So. It's. Um, I think you know we need to we need to kind of get to grips with food and drink again, you know, and 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 think about where our food and, and drink is coming from. Um, uh, it's it's um, the drinks industry in particular has been very good at lobbying uh, to prevent um, too much information going on on bottles. You know, if you look at your bottle, your can you'll very rarely see an ingredients list on an alcoholic drink because you don't have to have it there. You know, we all know that you have to have it there on sandwiches. You have to have it on there on, 
on on packaged foods, it's it's an absolute must. But um, but on alcoholic beverages, you don't have to have an ingredients list. You don't even have to have nutritional content. Right. Um, the only thing that you really have to display is 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 allergens. Mm-hmm. And we put nutritional content and ingredients on all of our beer because we know that actually, you know, all of our beers are less than half the calories of a, of a standard beer. Mm. Um, but we're, you know, we're not we're not doing anything unne- un- unnecessary, unnatural in order to achieve that. That is just purely because actually a lot of the alcohol, you know, the calories that we consume in alcoholic drinks comes from the alcohol itself. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but so many people are uh, unaware of that. You know, you're, yeah. you're not looking at, a, at an alcoholic drink and thinking, "Wow, that's full of calories." Uh, you only ever see it when there's a kind of low calorie version of the drink that you're drinking. But um, yeah, but you, you know, interrogate it a little bit more closely, and you'll you'll find that you know alcohol is is pretty calorific, and yeah. uh, small beer is a, is a, is a, is a wonderful way of kind of getting around that. No, so I love it. I'm listen. I'm very very conscious of your time. I could have I've gone for hours talking about this. I, <laughs> I'll ask you one last question. Yeah. Uh, if you could only pass on one life lesson, what would it be? Oh, that that is a tough one. Um, one life lesson, I would say, you know, I'd, I'd say listen to yourself and the people around you. And by that, I mean, you know, don't forget that you're probably the best person you know don't just be led by others i think if you feel strongly about something and you want to make a difference and you feel like you ought to be doing something then you should make time for yourself you know sometimes um sometimes it's very easy to get wrapped up in the world around us and uh, and forget you know what we actually want to achieve in life which is generally you know actually if you ask most people what they really really want it's not you know, it's not a, an amazing career or lots of money. It's it's normally happiness. Mm. And if it isn't happiness and health, um, then perhaps you know you've 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 lived a, a very lucky life so far. Uh, but as soon as you come across something um, that is life changing, and that generally involves you know losing a loved one or mm. or seeing things go terribly wrong in in some other form of of your life, I think then you know, go back and, and think again, you know, because because um, happiness is and, and health are, are key. So listen to yourself and, and give yourself a bit of time to think sometimes, you know, just stop and think. Um, and while you're stopping and thinking, drink a beer. <laughs> Make it a small beer, why don't you? Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Felix is clearly very knowledgeable and has a clear passion for what he does. Please remember to like, subscribe, review and recommend. Until next time, farewell. well.